Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the Met, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Now, enjoy the message. Yeah, how are we doing this morning? Good, good, good. It's great to see everybody here this morning. We're glad you're here. Glad all of you are joining online as well. Would you all agree with me that the last six months have just been crazy? I mean, the best way to describe these last six months is crazy. I mean, it's like we've been on this crazy ride. We've been on this crazy train and it's taken us to all these places that we've never been before. And the scary thing is we don't know when we're going to get off, right? We just don't know when this is going to end. I was actually looking up the word crazy in the Bible. I was looking it up. I mean, not in the Bible, in the dictionary. And uh, crazy is in the Bible too. <laughs> it's the third service. You got to go with us, right? Uh, I was looking up in the dictionary and it, and it said that it's actions that lack reason. And I'm going, that's it. That's 2020, actions that lack reason. I mean, because we've all been told to do things and not to do things that just don't make sense, right? We've all been told to do things that don't make sense to us, not to do things that don't make sense to us. And the problem is when people tell you to do things that don't make sense, you end up doing things that don't make sense. You end up doing things like going out and buying a year's worth of toilet paper. I mean, people buy, I mean, who does that, right? I mean, who buys that much toilet paper? I hope none of y'all have done that, okay? I mean, (laughs) because if you need that much toilet paper just to get through a 14-day quarantine period, you got a lot bigger problems than COVID. I'm just telling you, you you probably should have gone and saw a doctor long before this virus ever started if you need that much toilet paper. But We've all been doing crazy things. We've all been doing things that don't make sense. And as I've watched people, as I've observed people, we've all gone through this thing differently. I mean, some of you have gone through this angry. You're mad. You're mad about what's going on. You're mad about the things that have been taken away from you. You're mad about the things that you have to do. And and you have every right to be mad. I mean, this is a crazy time that we're in. Now, some of you have gone through it afraid. But you're afraid of this. You're afraid of what it is doing to you or could do to you. You're afraid of what it could do to to your loved ones around you. And you have every right to be afraid because this, this virus has killed a lot of people. And some of you are going through it alone. You feel isolated. You feel like you don't have anybody you can turn to. You just got to figure this whole thing out by yourself. And the problem with having all of these crazy emotions, the problem with, with feeling angry or alone or afraid is that the ways of God don't seem that important anymore. See, when you start feeling angry, alone, or afraid, following God and doing what God wants you to do is just not high on your priorities. Let me, let me tell you what I'm talking about here. Think about your biggest regret. Think about the biggest regret that you have in life. Think about that thing you're sorry for, that thing that, man, if you could just do it over, you'd take it back. You'd do it so much different. Now, if you were to stand up and tell anybody about that big regret, I bet you in that story, you talk about a time that you were angry or you were alone or you were afraid. And if we don't take care of those crazy emotions, those three things or one of those is going to be a part of your next biggest regret. Because when you start feeling this way, when you start having these crazy emotions, you just have to do anything, right? You've got to do anything to try to change what you're feeling. And the problem is we end up doing the wrong thing. 
So that's why today I want to talk about what do we do? What do we do when we're angry, alone, and afraid? And to do that, I want to tell you a story from the Old Testament, a, a story that involves one of the most famous people in the Bible, a guy by the name of David. And the reason why I want to tell you his story is because the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, is the fact that this happened to them to be examples for us. See, the Apostle Paul was saying, we need to look back at what people went through. We need to look back and see their stories. We want to see how they reacted to things because that's the example that we have for ourselves of what to do, or in David's case, what not to do. See, David had two colossal moral failures in his life. One happened in his 50s. It was something that he was very famous for, that he had an indiscretion with, um, with another woman after he'd already become king of Israel. And we're not going to talk about this one, but we're going to talk about this other uh, moral failure that he had when he had in his 20s. He was only 22 years old. A lot of people don't know this story, but it's so important. It's so relevant to what we're talking about today because it was a time when David was angry, alone, and afraid. See, that's all started when David burst onto the scene when he walked into the, the Valley of Elah and he took on the Philistine giant by the name of Goliath. Okay, Goliath was there and he had been taunting the Israelite army. He'd been taunting the King Saul and say, come on, who's, who's man enough to come take me on? Who, who can come on? Come on, I dare you. And they're all up there afraid. They're afraid of what this giant Philistine could do to him. Well, David walks up, he's only 15 years old. And he says, hey, God saw me through fighting a bear. God got me through fighting a lion. God will get me through fighting this giant. And he walks down into the valley and he takes on Goliath and he kills him. And not only does he kill him, but he takes Goliath's own sword and he cuts off his head. And instantly he becomes the most famous person in Israel. Everybody is talking about David, 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 David. And then King Saul puts him over his armies and David starts going and winning all these incredible battles. And people are talking about him. They're singing songs about him. David's killed his 10,000s and nobody's talking about Saul. And Saul gets jealous. And not only does he get jealous, he becomes afraid. He becomes afraid of the power that David has. And he's thinking to himself, I got to get rid of this guy. And luck has it, guess what? David falls in love with one of his daughters, a daughter by the name of Michal. Michal was, was uh, one of his daughters. And David goes and says, hey, can I, can I marry your daughter? And Saul says, yeah. You can, but to do that, you got to go out and kill 100 Philistines. David was thinking, you know what? I'm going to let, I'm going to let the Philistines take care of my problem because surely one of, one, one of those Philistines is going to take him out while he's trying to get 100. And so he goes out and guess what? David comes back with 200 dead Philistines. So David marries his daughter. He moves into the palace and everything goes downhill from there because now Saul is not only afraid of the power of David, now he's feeling all alone because his daughter now is supporting David over him. And not only that, David becomes best friends with his son, Jonathan. And now Jonathan is supporting David over him. So here we have King Saul. He's afraid, he's angry, and he's feeling all alone. And this all comes to a, a climax at dinner one night. They all get around to have dinner and David's conveniently not there. He stopped showing up for those dinners because Saul was always angry and he just didn't want to be a part of it. And this is what happens in 1 Samuel 20. It says, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, 
I hope that's not kind of the talk that gets around your table, okay? You know, <laughs> I'm thinking about that, <laughs> doing that. Every time I read that, I'm going, was that perverse and rebellious, rebellious woman at the table when he said that? I mean, how awkward is that, right? But this was just showing Saul's state of mind at this point. He says, don't I know that you sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? There was definitely some marriage issues there, I'm telling you. But back in those days, remember, they had a ton of wives, okay? They had a lot of wives. And anytime you're in a culture that you can actually have a favorite wife, there's always going to be problems. And I think there was problems in this marriage, but that's another message. We'll go on to this one, okay? And it says, as long as the son of Jesse, and he's talking about David, lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. See, Saul was upset because he wanted Jonathan to be the next king. He wanted his son to follow him as king. And he knew as long as David was around that David was gonna be the next king. God had already said, David will be the next king of Israel. And so Saul says, now send someone to bring him to me for he must die. And Saul storms out of the room. Well, Jonathan and his sister are looking at each other like, we've gotta warn David. We've gotta get to him as fast as we can. Saul's lost it. He's gone crazy. And so they rush to David. And they say, you've got to get out of here. You've got to leave now. Not just leave the city, but you've got you've to leave the country. You've got to get, a little, get away as far as possible because Saul's not going to stop until you're arrested and he has you killed. And David takes off. He's 22 years old. And now he's all alone. He's had to leave everything behind. And he's afraid because of the fact that Saul is after him and wants to kill him. And he's angry. He's angry because he didn't do anything. He didn't cause Saul to do this. He was just doing what God wanted him to do. And he's not understanding why he's having to go through this. And so what does David do? He does what all of us would do. He panics. He panics. He takes matters into his own hands. And you might be asking, what happened to that 15-year-old that walked into the Valley of Elah? What happened to the 15-year-old to the, the that said, God, help me through fighting a bear. God, help me through fighting a, a lion. And God's going to help me fighting Goliath. And he did. What happened to that guy? What happened to the guy who already knew he was going to be the next king of Israel? He'd already been anointed that king. And God, don't you think God would surely see him through that if he's already appointed him as king? What happened to that guy? Angry, alone, and afraid happened. See, when you have those crazy emotions, trusting God and doing what God wants you to do goes out the window. And that's what happened. We're going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel 21. It says, David went to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. Now, let me give you a little background to this, that at that time in history that um, Israel didn't own the land around Jerusalem, okay? And they didn't have a capital city. So the center of worship was at wherever the tabernacle or the Ark of the Covenant was, okay? The Ark of the Covenant was in a place called Nob. And what they would do is they would move it around to whatever city they felt uh, was the safest. And at this time, it was, it was Nob. And that's why the high priest Ahimelech was there. And so David runs to this place and you start thinking, okay, good. He's coming to his senses, He's going to get spiritual help. He's going to tell somebody what he needs to do. Unfortunately, that's not why he went. It says, Ahimelech trembled when he met David. He said, ask, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? See, it was weird to him to see David. Every time he saw David, David traveled with a thousand other warriors. I mean, you heard David coming before he got there. 
And plus, probably David was all disheveled because he had been running out as fast as he could. He was probably just out of breath. He probably didn't look right. And he's wondering what's going on. And this is how David responded. It said, David answered Ahimelech, the priest, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. David lies. David lies to Ahimelech. He lies to the high priest. David doesn't believe in lying. David knows, he knows, he knows it's one of the top 10. He knows thou shalt not lie. In fact, when he says it, he could have walked over to the Ark of the Covenant which housed the top 10 right there. But why did he do it? Because when you're angry, alone, and afraid, you'll do anything to get what you think you need to survive. And so he lies to the priest. And then he lies again. He says, he says, as for my men, I told them to meet me at a certain place. I don't have any men, but I'm going to tell you I have men because I think if I tell you the truth, you won't help me. And I'm going to do whatever I can to get through what I'm going through. I'm going to do whatever I can. And we've all done that. Those times that we're just alone and we're fearful, we'll do things that we wouldn't normally do. And that's what was happening to David. And then he says this, he says, now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread and whatever you can find. He was saying, I need something. I've got, I've got a long journey and I've got to have this, whatever you can give me so that I can make it as I run away. And the priest answers David and says, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here. And what he's talking about is the fact that every morning the priest would get up and they would make bread. They would make fresh bread and they would put it on the altar as an offering to God. And in the next day, they would go and see God didn't eat it. So they would actually take it off the altar. And that's what the, the priests would eat. But to be able to eat this bread, you had to be ceremonial clean. So David is lying to get food because he's going to do anything he can to change his situation. And then David asked Ahimelech, do you have a spear for, or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was so urgent. He continues talking about this. And I'm wondering, how hasn't Ahimelech clued in? I mean, here's the mightiest warrior in all of Israel and he's traveling without a sword. I mean, you're, you're wanting Ahimelech to say, hey, listen, David, what's up? What's up? This isn't making sense. This is crazy. I mean, what do, what do you need? How can I help you? But he didn't do it. He doesn't do it. But what happens next is unbelievable because David is literally transformed back. He's transplanted back to the time in history that God was biggest in his life. This is what the priest said. He said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here. The, the Goliath who you killed seven years ago, it's here. If you want it, take it. There's no sword here, but that one. I mean, if God wasn't trying to get his attention, who was? God was saying, listen, you've forgotten me in this process. And how many times do we do that? How many times when we've got these crazy emotions that we forget God in the process and we're just doing whatever we can to get through this? But David doesn't come to his senses. David says, there's none like it. Give it to me. He takes matters into his own hands. Why is it when we need God the most, we lean on him the least? 
Why is it when we need God the most that instead of running to him, we run away from him? Why is it when we need God the most, we forget about all the things that God has already done for us? And it's easy to see when other people are forgetting that, isn't it? It's easy to see when other people are making that mistake. You, can, you probably have friends now. You probably have relatives. You've got people you work with that you've seen have been taking matters in your own hands, and you've told them, don't do this. Trust God. That's not going to be good, Jude. That's not going to turn out good. Go ahead and trust God. Trust God. He's going to be there for you. It's easy to see it in other people, but man, when we're going through it, we never see it. And that's why, and the reason why I think that happens is because of the fact that when we see things, when we see things happening to us, we think if God's letting it happen, then God's not for me. That I wouldn't be going through this if God was actually there for me. And if God's not there for me, I've got to figure this whole thing by myself. Now, here's the thing that I want you to know that I've seen in 25 years of ministry that I've been in. It's easy to trust God when you have nothing to trust him with or nothing to trust him for. It's easy to trust God when you don't have anything to trust him with or trust him for. It's easy to show up at church. It's easy to sing the songs that you're my only king forever. It's easy to do that when you don't have anything to trust him with. It's easy to come and serve. It's to, to, to do your tithe and your offering, to smile at everybody. It's easy. But the minute things get a little crazy in your life, all of a sudden, it's not so easy to trust him, is it? And you want to take matters into your own hands because you'll do anything to change the way you feel. And that's what David does takes the sword, and he heads off. And guess where he goes? To the land of the Philistines. Yeah, goes to the land of the Philistines. It gets worse. It gets worse. He goes to a place called Gath. And you know who's from Gath? Goliath. That's right. He walks downtown Gath holding the sword that he used to cut off their hometown hero. He's got his sword in the hand. He's cut his head off, and he goes there. And guess what he does? Because you do crazy things when you're having crazy emotions. He goes to him and said, hey, I want to be on your side now. I've given up on the Israelites. I want to now fight for you. I want to be on your side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know I killed your hero. Yeah, yeah. I know I did that. And I know I probably killed a lot of your friends and relatives, people you serve with. I've killed a lot of those. But let's put that all behind us, okay? Let's, let's forget about all those things because I want to be on your side now. Is that okay? Well, they're looking at him like he's crazy. And all of a sudden, David starts coming to his senses. He starts coming to his senses, and he starts now not being worried what Saul's going to do him. He's worried what the Philistines are going to do to him. And so what he does, this is crazy. So he acts crazy. Literally, he starts acting crazy. He, he starts acting crazy. If you, if you don't believe me, read your Bible. That's why we have it there. It's in the Bible. He starts acting crazy. He starts, he starts, he starts carving at wood with his fingernails. He starts going up and down. He starts slobbering all of himself. And he does such a convincing job that the king says, get this fool away from me. This guy is nuts. Get him out of here. So he gets out of there and he's able to escape. And he leaves the land of the Philistines and he goes back to his own country goes back to his own country, his own safety, and guess what he does? He seeks out a prophet, seeks out the prophet Gad, and he says, tell me 
what God wants me to do? Will you tell me God's will for my life? I'm ready to trust God again. The problem is the damage had already been done. Because when David went to Nob and he was talking to the high priest there, there was somebody else there, a guy by the name of Doag. And Doag worked for the king. And so after he saw David, he goes back to King Saul and he says, I know where David is. I know where David went, but you're not gonna like it. Because what I saw was the high priest Ahimelech gave him food, gave him a weapon. He helped him. He sided with your enemy over you. Well, Saul's furious. He can't believe this is happening. And so he summons Ahimelech and all the priests him. He summons, he says, get them here now. And then when he gets here, he starts accusing them of treason, of going against him, choosing David over him. And they're like, what are you talking about? He's your son-in-law. He's your mightiest warrior. He's won these great battles for you. How, how, how are we choosing him over you? What's, where, where, how did he become your enemy? What's going on? And he says, you knew this. You did it on purpose. And for this, you must die. And he tells his soldiers to kill all the enemy, all of the high priests. And the soldiers said, we're not doing it. We'll kill your enemies. We'll kill the people who attack you, but we're not going to do this. We're not killing holy people. But Doag says, this is my chance to come up in Saul's eyes. And he slaughters 85 priests on that day. And Saul wasn't done. He said, now I want you to go back to Nob, kill every man, woman, and child. Wipe them out. That's what you do when you're crazy. Wipe them out. And he goes and he kills everybody. There was only a few that survived. One that did was Ahimelech's son. He gets away and he goes and he finds David. And he tells him this horror of what happened. And David is broken. He's broken. He said, this all happened because of me. You see, Taking matters into your own hands feels good at the moment. It just doesn't turn out good. It doesn't turn out good. So what do we do when we're having this crazy time, when we're having these crazy emotions? Well, the first thing, when you start to feel angry, you need to accept the fact that you're not in control. When you start to feel angry, you need to accept the fact that you're not in control. James, the brother of Jesus says this in James 4. He says that the reason why you get mad is because you want something and don't get it. He goes, that's what it is. You want something, you don't get it. Think about the last time you were mad. I bet it had something to do with that. Maybe you're mad right now. And I bet you it's because you want something and you can't get it. When your kids get mad at you, what is it because? They want something and you won't give it to them but you're not in control. It's not about always getting your way. God is in control. Lamentations 3, 37, it says this, nothing happens without God's permission. God is in control. That thing that you're mad about right now, God's allowed it. You need to understand that. Think about that. The thing that you are so upset about, God has allowed it. That's why James says this. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. He didn't say that it was joyful, the trial. 
He said, consider it joy in the trial that you can have joy because you know God is in control. And if God has allowed this, it's because he's using this to change you. He's using it to do something in your life and through your life and maybe to the people around you. He's doing this to change. That's what we've seen here. We've not been happy. We've been upset with what we have to do. It's, it's, we don't like the fact that we have to spread everybody out, that we can't have the, the church feeling that we had before. We can't get everybody back in the, in the room. But we had to understand that God's allowed this, and what is he trying to teach us? Well, what he did, he opened up our presence online. That's why we do so many more things than we ever did before to try to connect with people and, 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 and stay in touch with people. We're still seeing life change. We're still seeing lives being renewed because we trusted God through this time. Our food pantry, our help out, we now serve twice as many people every single week than we did before COVID ever came around. God is in control. He allows everything. That's why you have to live by Romans 8, 28. You got to live by the fact that God is going to work all things out for good. That's why you don't have to be mad. You might not like it now, but God's allowed it. Trust him through it, and you'll see the good that he brings from it. Second thing, when you start to feel alone, you need to acknowledge that God is there. God is always with you. Psalm 139, it says that. It says, where can you go? Where can you go that God is not there? God is always with you. If you're not feeling God, if you don't feel God's presence in your life, it's because you're so busy looking at your circumstance, you've missed your Savior. God is with you. He's there to see you through all things. He cares for you. First, first Peter 5, 7, it says, they cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. See, not only does God say that I'm with you, but I'm going to help you through whatever you're facing. Because I don't want you to carry this burden. I don't want you to feel like you're the one that has to figure this out. I'm with you. I'm going to see you through all things. It's Isaiah 41.10. says, fear not, for I am with you. God is always there. And he says that when it gets really tough, guess what? I'm going to hold you up. I will pick you up out of your situation. Trust me. Trust me. And finally, when you start to feel afraid, you need to align yourself with God. Let me tell you what I'm talking about here. 2 Timothy 1.7 is the fact that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power of love and self-control. See, if you're feeling fear, it's because you've aligned yourself with something else. You're listening to the wrong thing because God did not give you that fear. And so you need to step back and stay in alignment. God has given you the spirit of power. He's given the power to get through anything you face. That's why we don't have to be afraid. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is now in you. You need to hold on to that. You don't need to be afraid. And he says that he's given you self-control. What that means, he's given you the ability to not take things into your own hands, to continue to trust even when it feels hard to trust him. Even when you think, I've got to do it my own way, he's giving you that self-control to know, trust him. God's doing something. And he's giving you the power of love. 1 John 4, 18, it says that, that perfect love casts out all fear. See, when you align yourself with God's love, that fear goes away. That's your litmus test. If you're feeling fear, it's because you have stepped away from 
the love of God. You stepped away from that feeling. Get back with him. Be there. God will see you through. Hold on to this. Hold on to Romans 8.32. And it says, the God who loved you enough to send his son will also give you all things. Realize that. God did not give you Jesus just to let you figure everything else out on your own. That's why we don't have to be afraid. That's why we don't have to take matters in our own hands. Because when we do, we might end up doing something like David that he regretted for the rest of his life. When David came to his senses and escaped, he wrote about it in Psalm 34. He wrote about it and he thanked God for the fact that it was God who actually got him out from the Philistines safely. And he says this, I will bless the Lord at all times that his praise shall continually be in my mouth. What David was saying is the fact that if I was praising God, I wouldn't have taken matters in my own hands. If I was praising God, I wouldn't have done such a crazy thing. And that's why I tell you that if you praise God, you can't be angry. If you praise God, you won't feel alone. And if you're praising God, you're never going to be afraid because God is with you. He is in control. And he will see you through all things. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the fact that you are in control that we all feel like we've been on this crazy ride and we don't know where it's going. We don't know when we're going to get off. But it is so good to know that you do. This didn't catch you by surprise. You already have a plan. And that's why it's our prayer, God, that we walk into that plan. It's so tempting for us to, to take matters into our own hands, but God, help us to trust you. Help us to just live out your will. Help us to not make a mistake that we'll regret. God, I know you have great things for us. I know that you're using this to, to further your kingdom. I know you're using this to, to, to mature all of us. And that's why we just ask you to help keep us aligned with you. Help us to walk in your ways. Help us to trust you in all ways. And if there's somebody here this morning or you're watching online that you've been having to go through everything alone because you've never entered into that relationship with God. God is ready for you to open up your heart now. You are here hearing this message for a reason. And God is saying, trust me. So right where you are, just open up your heart to him. Say, God, I realize that you love me so much that you sent your son to die for me, for my sins. And I believe what you did for me. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. And I want to put my life in your hands. I give you my life. I give you my heart. I trust you. If you believe that, you're his. And he's going to see you through all things. God, help us to 
leave this place, to go into this next week with the confidence that you are there, that you're in control, and that we can trust you because we want to live lives that glorify you. We love you and praise you when we pray this song in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.